0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. I have a serious question, sort of a personal question. How do you respond when somehow God doesn't meet your needs, your hopes, your expectations? When somehow he doesn't seem to respond to your prayers, when things seem to just not do, be what you sincerely prayed for and thought God was doing in your life, how do you respond to that? Let me give a couple of illustrations. Some years ago at World Venture, the mission agency that I served under in Africa, accepted the application of a young couple. God had worked in their life in their home church and they felt God's call to go to Taiwan. And so they began to prepare for that and they went to Bible school preparing to go to the mission field. And they started their family and then they raised the funds and they got to Taiwan and they began to learn the language, and they were fitting in and doing so well. And every step of the way, it seemed that God was opening doors and affirming to them that this was God's plan for their life. When their young daughter, after about six months in Taiwan, came down with a debilitating disease, and it necessitated them to come back to the United States because this would be a lifelong, caring situation. What do you do when somehow it doesn't turn out like you sincerely feel God has been leading you? Or another young Couple. They were in college, and they had been raised in a Christian home, both of them, and they wanted to serve the Lord, and so they had volunteered. They were both counselors at a youth camp, and they were doing the counseling, and they met each other, and they fell in love, and this seemed to be God's leading in their life, and they were married, and uh, they settled down and she went to college and she was getting her degree and he was working and they started a family and then she got enamored with some other fellow and she became disillusioned with her whole Christian faith and she left and the family was broken Even though they had made their vows together before God. What do you do when God doesn't meet your hopes or your expectations? I think that's where Jonah was. He, you know, God had come to him and said, You need to go to Nineveh, but that just simply did not fit into his plans. According to 2 Kings, chapter 14, Jonah was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam II. He was an evil king, but he was also a pretty powerful one, and he was able to expand the territory of Israel when Assyria was showing some weakness. And so Jonah, it says in Second Kings, had prophesied that under the blessing of God, they would be able to expand their kingdom, and they did. It was the largest expansion of the kingdom since the days of King Solomon. And so in Jonah's mind, if God intended to bless Israel's expansion, then certainly he would defeat her enemies and destroy those who were fighting against her. Doesn't that make sense? And so that's why I think that Jonah was simply shocked and dismayed when God called to him to go to Nineveh, the capital city of their strongest, worst enemy, and to preach. Jonah fully hoped and expected God to punish and destroy their enemies not preach repentance to them and Jonah knew that God was a gracious merciful God it says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He knew that. So he knew that if he went to Nineveh to preach repentance, that they very well might repent and God might relent and save them rather than destroy them. And Jonah said, not on my watch. He did not want Nineveh to thrive. He wanted them destroyed, and he fully expected that that's what God also wanted. I remember talking one time in this church to a Christian man during the time of the invasion of Iraq. He was quite upset, and angrily, he told me, let them bomb them off of the face of the earth. Shocked, I sort of said, but do you ever pray for the salvation of Saddam Hussein? And he looked at me as if I was crazy. Why would you do that? But let me ask you, what is your attitude? toward the enemies of the United States, for example? Do you pray for the leaders of China and Russia? Do you pray for the salvation of the people of Gaza or Central Asia or Iran? Jonah, you see, had no compassion for the wicked city of Nineveh. And so he went awol, and he ran away from God. And as we've seen in this series up until now, God pursued Jonah to the open seas, and he threatened the ship that Jonah was on with a great storm. And Jonah was thrown overboard in order to save the sailors and their ship. But God rescued Jonah with a great fish that swallowed him alive. And when Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish, the fish vomited Jonah up out onto dry land. And now, Jonah, God calls Jonah for the second time. In our text this morning that Lonnie read, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now when God brings unexpected and unwelcome situations into our lives, I think we need to learn some very important lessons. First of all, God works in our lives according to his relentless providence. When Jonah heard this second call, I don't think he was happy about it at all. From the context of the story, the whole story as we read it in these four chapters, Jonah did not see this second call as some... Second chance, some demonstration of God's patience with him and grace to give him another chance to serve him. In other words, I don't think Jonah fell down on his knees and thanked the Lord for giving him another chance to obey him. I think Jonah saw this second call as a demonstration of God's relentless providence. God in his persistent plan, wanted to bring the message of redemption and repentance to the city of Nineveh. And God was not going to give up on his plan. He was not going to be thwarted by the disobedience of Jonah. God's providence is relentless. Now when I say providence, I mean God's purposeful sovereignty. I mean his sovereign power with a purpose. Let me explain just a, minute a little bit here. The difference between God's sovereignty and God's promise is that his sovereignty is his right and his power to do all that he pleases. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. In his providence, he exercises that power with his own divine purpose. It's power with a purpose. So providence is God's use of his power and authority to bring about his ultimate purpose for the universe. That means You're gonna get a little theology here. (laughs) That means that he governs all things. His purpose will be achieved. No purpose of God can be thwarted. And this is true, Jesus said, of the smallest details, like a bird, sparrow, falling from the sky. Isaiah said it was true of the biggest things, like placing the stars in the space and calling them by name, billions of them. Luke says that his providence even governs the sinful actions of Christ killing people like Herod and Pilate and Jews and Gentiles, all of us, basically. The extent of God's providence is all-pervading and all-embracing. It, it invades and permeates every aspect of our life. It, it relates to every situation in our life, Nothing is outside the providence of God. His design and his purpose is this, every moment of our lives is relevant for how we live and how we respond to things unexpected and unpleasant. If God is purposeful in his sovereignty, then maybe I need to ask, what do you think that purpose is? What does God intend to do in creation, in history, in redemption? Where is it all going? If he's in charge, where's he going with this? And this is where, again, where I think the Bible is so very clear and we need to get it down. The ultimate goal of God's plan for us is to demonstrate and display his glorious grace in three ways. By redeeming people by his own blood from all ages and nations. Secondly, by bringing them into the church and sanctifying them into a bride without blemish or spot. And three, by glorifying them so that someday they can enjoy and magnify his greatness and worth above everything else in the new heavens and the new earth. Three things, by redeeming, by sanctifying, and by glorifying. That's his purpose, to call out people from every tribe and nation in all ages, to gather them together so that someday his bride will join to magnify and celebrate his grace and his glory. Now what does that mean for you and me and for Jonah? It means that God will work through us He will work through us to reach a broken world. His providence means that God is working through us, sometimes around us, sometimes in spite of us, to bring this marvelous grace of salvation to all peoples, from our next door neighbor, to the remote areas of Central Asia, to the rubble ruins of Gaza. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God takes us as his spokesman to proclaim the good news of salvation to all peoples. Do you remember our series on the pathway of discipleship in January? In the foundation verse, For our vision of discipleship was Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's providential plan for the world. And it cannot be thwarted. It is all-pervasive, all-embracing. And so God is persistent. He never gives up on his plan to redeem people from the bondage of sin. He will not be thwarted. And that's what we see at work here in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And God came to him the second time. Jonah, I am not giving up on Nineveh. Now get up and go. Jonah rebelled the first time, but the second time, he doesn't run away. His purposeful providence would not give up on Nineveh. So his providence also means that. It is guaranteed that he will work in our lives to transform us. Not just that he's going to reach out into the world and use us, but he is going to transform us. Some of, most of what I'm saying here about Providence, I'm getting from a book by John Piper called Providence. <laughs> it's a massive volume, over 800 pages. But I have a statement here and it's going to be on the screen and I think this statement is so important that we grasp what God's providence is in our life that I'm going to ask you to stand right now and I'm going to read this together because we need to pay attention to this. God's providence, his relentless providence means that before the creation of the world, God chose you and me by name. He saw that we deserve nothing but condemnation for our sins, but he predestined us to be his children, to share in the likeness of his Son. He purchased us at the cost of the perfect life of his only Son, Jesus. He called us to be born again, to receive his eternal kind of life. He gave us freely the will to believe and to repent, according to 2 Timothy 2.25. He forgives all our sins and declares us righteous in the presence of the all-holy God, Romans 5.19. He gives us his own Holy Spirit to keep us and purify us. He is working 100% of the time for us and not against us in every experience, no matter how painful or pleasant, Romans 8:31, so that he can keep us from falling from his grace, and to present us faultless before the throne, the God of all glory, according to Jude one twenty four. He will raise us from the dead and give us new bodies like his glorious body and give us a new life in a new heaven and a new earth where we will enjoy his glory and grace forever. You may be seated. And you may want a copy of that. You can go to our website and we'll have it posted there for you. This isn't simple stuff. But this is what God is doing in our lives. And it seems to me that we should be standing with trembling joy and fear by what God intends to do in us and through us. God will use his people as his messengers to carry his message to the broken world. And he will do that sometimes, even when the servant is reluctant and inadequate. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh. You see the map there. He immediately obeyed. Now, it was about 550 miles from Israel to Nineveh. And by walking that distance, it probably took him about a month to get there. And I think that Jonah went because he saw he could not resist the providence of God. He still did not agree with God's plan for Nineveh. Jonah was not moved by compassion for these sinful people. But he bowed before the providence of God, and he obeyed, and he began to preach. We need to learn this about God's providence. God uses inadequate and reluctant servants in difficult situations. You know, when Jonah gets to Nineveh, he enters the great city and begins to deliver his message of judgment and destruction to the pagan people there. And Jonah 3, chapter 3, verse 3, emphasizes the fact that Nineveh was a great city. And I think the author is trying to underscore that this is a difficult and dangerous place to preach the Gospel about Yahweh God. Cities are the centers of political and military power. It's in the cities that decisions are made that impact the rest of the country. Cities are the centers of cultural ideas and philosophies, and they dominate and determine the attitude and the worldview of the whole population. And so when he gets to Nineveh, he finds a very dangerous place. The map shows you a little bit of what it looked like. It's on the, the uh, little tributary of the Tigris River called the Kosher River, and it's centered on a plateau, raised plateau that is, today is called, I don't know how to pronounce it, Kuyunchip. <laughs> but anyway, this city, was becoming very dominant, and a cultural, sophisticated, powerful center. It was dedicated to the chief deities of that culture, Nabu and Ishtar, and especially Ishtar. She was the goddess, notice this combination, the goddess of war and love. Yeah, you can imagine what that combination was. She was, the, she was, however, the goddess that inspired undisciplined passion and cruel warfare carried on by the Assyrian culture. It demoralized their enemies. And Nahum, who prophesies against Nineveh, says this, He condemns her because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the seductive mistress of sorcery, who betrays nations by her prostitution and clans by her witchcraft. We don't see much about the sin of Nineveh in this book, but it does speak in verse eight of this chapter about the violence of the city. Jonah, the violence, that came, they said, was still very common among them. They, according to some historians, they practiced torture against their prisoners. And after defeating someone in battle, they would take them and make slaves of those that were left alive. They tortured others by tearing the skin from their bodies and leaving them to die in the scorching sun, and then they celebrated it. Violence for them was the source of amusement and entertainment. Does that remind you of anything in our culture? This conclusion appears to be confirmed by the prophet again of Nahum In chapter three of his book, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. So Jonah comes into this difficult and dangerous situation to deliver a very, (laughs) what turns out to be a very distorted, inadequate message. It's unbalanced. What does he say? Verse 3, yet 40 days, and the city will be overturned. That's all we have. That's what he preached. Now, I don't think that's all he preached, but it's the summary of what he was preaching. Destruction. He doesn't even mention the word God, Yahweh. He doesn't tell them why they're going to be overturned. He doesn't tell them what they ought to do. He sincerely hoped that they would be destroyed, remember? And that God was only going to have destruction for this city. You see, God had one plan. And Jonah comes and he gives this very inadequate, (laughs) sad message. He preached judgment in a distorted manner. He was a reluctant messenger. He delivered it in an imperfect way. He was a reluctant, inadequate servant in a very difficult and dangerous situation. And that's why it is so shocking to read the next verse. And the people of Nineveh believed God. I'll let that sink in a little bit. These pagan worshipers of Ashtar and other gods heard the imperfect message from a reluctant Jewish prophet, and they believed Yahweh. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I mean, this was a huge revival. It wasn't just a few. Now, in this context, it probably means that this God of the Jewish nation, Israel, they believed was real and he was powerful and he actually could destroy them. In spite of all of their other gods, They believed Yahweh. It was an incredible step of faith on their part. It was a miracle of God. Only the grace of God could work in their hearts and minds in that situation to bring them to repentance and to plead for mercy from Yahweh God. But God doesn't only show mercy to the city, but he shows mercy to his reluctant prophet. God really is the God of second chances. God really is the one who came to Jonah, and he says, I'm not gonna give up on you either. He did give him this second chance, and God used him to proclaim his message in spite of his distorted theology and his skewed message. I remember one time in Africa when I was teaching and preaching, and um, we had to write our own lessons because there were no Bible lessons in the language of Madagascar, Malagasy. And so I was writing out the lessons, and I was trying with all the passion I could muster up to deliver this message, and the lesson that was God fulfills his promise, promises. In the Old Testament, he made predictions and prophecies, and he fulfilled them all in the coming of Christ, and I was just going how he fulfilled his promises, except I used the wrong word for fulfill the promises, and I mistranslated it with a word that actually was sort of obscene. I didn't know that, and afterwards the pastor of the church very sheepishly came up and got out a dictionary to show what the word actually meant. He wouldn't even say it. Can you imagine how I felt? I just, I thought, oh Lord. I so much wanted to get this across, and I just was not adequate. I was just not, and yet, out of that class, I just bowed my head, actually I cried right there. (laughs) But out of that class, as we continued to go, God grew the nucleus of a new church in this new town, of Madagascar, because God showed grace to this woefully inadequate servant, and used words that shouldn't have been pronounced, and yet he convinced them, our God keeps his promises. I can tell you that all of us on our preaching team feel this kind of grace every time we stand up to preach our efforts fall short we are not perfect we make mistakes we stumble in our delivery we don't explain it very well we let our own biases and viewpoints sometimes distort the truth and yet and yet God speaks to us. It's one of the most amazing and humbling things to see God work in someone's heart when our words are so inadequate. And maybe you are feeling the same way you say, I can't speak for Christ, I can't share the gospel, I don't speak very well, I, I don't have the right words, I don't know the verses, I don't know how to use them, I've never gone to Bible school, I just can't do that. But God in his grace can use you. Submit to his call. So speak up and share the gospel with others and what he is doing in your life. He that plants is nothing. She that waters is nothing. But it is God that gives the increase and fruit. I close with this thought. Jonah, hometown, was a little town called Gath Hefer. It's a little place and you can see there, modern day, what it looks like. It's just a few houses and buildings on this hillside, a limestone ridge in northern Israel. And in God's providence and grace, God used Jonah to proclaim his message to a foreign population outside of Israel. Now just three miles down that limestone ridge, there's another village called Nazareth. And eight centuries later after Jonah, another prophet from this little town of Galilee called Nazareth was called by God to carry the message of God's grace and compassion to all the peoples and all the nations. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is fulfilling the role that Jonah could not and would not do. And this prophet from Nazareth is Jesus, the son of God. And he's present here this morning speaking through my very inadequate words, to call you to repentance and redemption. He's calling people from the great and sinful city of Fort Collins to repent and to believe in his name. He's calling people who think they are self-sufficient and have no need of a God to save them. He's calling people who think God is irrelevant and so have put their trust in some other power or resource. He's calling people who ignore him and follow their own pleasures, not realizing that someday they will have to give account of their lives to God. He's calling people who are broken and hurting. Are living without hope in this life. He's calling people who are bound in the chains of addiction and who know they cannot save themselves. This prophet Jesus came to pay the price of the death for price of death for all of your sins. He took it into his own body all of the ugly sins of your life and mine. And he paid the penalty in full. And he calls all of us to come to him and to find rest, find forgiveness for your sins, find meaning for your life, find peace for your troubled soul. Find hope for your uncertain future. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning and calling you to repent. Believe me, you are not here by accident, but according to the providence of God. And he will not let you go until you come to him and receive his forgiveness. His, he will pursue you relentlessly until you fall into his arms and receive his abundant grace and mercy so I ask, why not do it today? Why not bow your head right now and humbly ask him to give you his eternal life, the water of life? That concludes Life Point Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.